0: All right, well, let's begin right off the bat. As you can see, if you have your notes in front of you, we've got five pages of notes. There's so much to talk about for this lesson. It's lesson six How did we get the Bible? Where did the Bible come from? And this is a really, really important question because there are. So many fundamental questions we just simply can't take for granted at all. We have this beautiful Bible in our hands in you know, whatever translation you might have, the New American Bible or the Revised Standard Version or the English Standard Version or the Douay Reims or, I don't know, the King James Version. Or There's so many out there, right? We have these Bibles and we go to the bookstore, we pick it up, we order it online or wherever wherever we get our Bibles. But there are so many other questions that we need to ask before we even interpret the scriptures. Like, how how did we get the Bible? How do how did the Old Testament and the New Testament develop over the centuries, right? This is really, really important. How do how did we get the Bible that we have now? Yes, we're holding it, we buy it from a bookstore, but honestly, if you think about it, it just didn't fall out of the sky in perfect King James English. It didn't fall down a rainbow, like perfectly translated in English or French or Italian or Chinese or whatever translation you have with its index and its glossary and its Bible tabs and its gilded edges and all of this stuff. Like it, it really developed over the centuries until what we have now. And so we have all these books, you open up to the table of contents, you got the books of the Old Testament, the books of the New Testament. How do we know which of these books belong in the Bible and which ones don't? Because there are all kinds of other things that have been written, epistles, gospels in the first centuries of the church, and even in the Old Testament, different things that have been written. How do we know what belongs in the Bible we have today? And how do we know that the ones that weren't included should have been included or maybe should not have been included, you see? And who has the final authority to make this decision? You have to have an authority, really an authority established by God himself to give us the official green light right, or the the thumbs up that these are the books that belong in the Bible and everything else just doesn't make the cut. Who has that authority? Another question that we ask is why does the Catholic Bible bigger or different than other Bibles such as the Jews and the Protestants? Why are they different? Did, did Catholics really add seven books? These are often called the Apocrypha or the Deuterocanonical books. We'll talk about this as we go through the lecture, but did Catholics add these books, these Apocryphal, it sounds so, so mysterious and secretive, right? The Illuminati type of stuff. Like they added these books, the Apocrypha. Or by, you know, considering it from the reverse side of the coin, did the Protestants and the Jews for that matter remove the seven books? What about all of those other writings that, that we have, like the Dead Sea Scrolls? other ancient gospels or epistles, Old Testament writings, New Testament writings. What about all of those I had mentioned previously? You know, again, should they have made the cut? Why didn't they make the cut? Should they, are they really scripture? And do they give us an, an insight into the secret life of Jesus as the History Channel would want us to believe? So you can see, like, all these questions are very much related to ask the question, the general big question, the umbrella question, how did we get the Bible? And what confidence do we have that the Bible that we're carrying today and quoting from and interpreting and people are getting degrees and we're reading it in uh, the liturgies of, of masses and you've got uh, Protestant pastors preaching from the the Holy Scriptures. How do we know? Like these are important questions. Okay, so this is what the subject of today's lecture or this lecture is all about, right? How do we how do we get the Bible? Okay, by what authority do we have this Bible? So just a quick clarification in terms of that question why are Catholic Bibles bigger or fatter or larger? Why do we have seven books and Protestants and Jews do not? Just so you can see here, I have a very, very simple description of the different biblical canons. We'll talk about canon and define that word in just a bit. Uh, But the Jewish Bible has 24 books, which is equivalent to the Protestant 39. It's just organized in a slightly different way uh, to get a total of 24. Obviously, the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew scriptures do not have the New Testament, The Protestant Bibles have the same 39 books, or 24 books, however you want to look at it, and the 27 books of the New Testament. And then Catholic Bibles have 46 Old Testament books. That was the question of the seven, like did Catholics add seven, or did Protestants take them away, and how did that happen? We'll discuss all this towards the end of the lecture. Um, And then, of course, we share the same list for the New Testament books. Also, the Orthodox Church, uh, they have a slightly different canon as well. Just because of the sake of time, I had to decide we're just going to leave the Orthodox you know, table of contents, the Orthodox canon of Scripture, to side for the side for the moment. I mean, in the future, we'll spend some time on this in another context. But for right now, we just really want to understand these three major religious groups, the Jewish Bible, Protestant Bible, and Catholic Bible. And really, as we move forward, those seven disputed books, because that's a huge question. And another time, again, I promise we'll do the Orthodox canon of Scripture. All right, so part one that we want to look at is how did the Old Testament canon develop, okay? Before we look at this question, how the Old Testament Bible, the old, really the Hebrew Scriptures, if you want to call them that justifiably, the Hebrew Scriptures, how they developed, we want to do some review of basic questions first, okay, or back to the basics, really. The Hebrew Scriptures developed, if you remember, we talked about this even in lesson one of this course, the Hebrew scriptures developed slowly and in stages for approximately 1500 years. You know, if Moses lived and wrote the five books of, or at least the substance, Uh, The bulk, uh, the main structure of the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, sometime around 1450 up until the time of Christ. That's approximately 1,500 years. That is a generalization because on the one hand, on the early side, you could say, you know, what if Moses had different sources that he had used to compile the five books? That's a completely legitimate question. He might have had written and oral sources that he used to compose his five books, or at least the bulk of it, the substance of it. You know, and then getting closer towards Christ, uh, you didn't really have a lot of text, maybe Sirach, closer to Jesus. But more or less, I think you'll pardon me if we generalize it as 1,500 years. That is a long time for the Hebrew scriptures to develop. And the languages are Hebrew. Aramaic, and in some cases Greek, like 2nd Maccabees is in Greek. But basically Hebrew and Aramaic, it's like basically the same as like Spanish and Italian. They're that close together. Those are the original languages for the Old Covenant scriptures. Uh, They're categorized or organized with a little acronym called the Tanakh. T-A-N-A-K, the Tanakh. This is the threefold structure of the traditional uh, Jewish Bible as it exists today. The T in Tanakh stands for the Torah. That's the the books of Moses, the law or the instruction or the teaching of Moses, Torah, And then the N stands for Nevi'im, which are all of the what we call the historical books, like Samuel's and the Kings, Joshua, uh, Judges, Ruth, all those, and the prophets like Elijah, Jeremiah, Daniel, all the rest of them. Okay, now the historical books uh, the Jews call the former prophets, and then you've got the traditional prophets, but they categorize it all as the Nevi'im. Okay, and then the K stands for the Ketuvim, the wisdom writings, Psalms and Proverbs, and you know all all of those. Okay, Job. Ecclesiastes, etc. So Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, the acronym is the Tanakh. That is the threefold structure of the traditional Jewish Bible. All right, so um, another thing that we have to clarify for these review of the basics is the definitions. All right, we're going to be using a lot of different words in this particular lesson, and we want to understand what they mean, these various categories of writings. The first of which is the canon. I've already used this word a couple of times. What does the canon mean? It's not like the boom canon, right, where you're shooting out all of these big massive bowling balls at people. Um, it's K-A, excuse me, not K, C-A, and o-n-c-a-n-o-n canon and really what that comes to us it means read or measuring rod or standard right this is the official list of all the inspired books really you can think of the canon as the inspired final definitive table of contents all right because it is the the final read the it's a read because you would you know break off a read according to a certain length and that would become the standard for measurements okay All right, so this is like the standard or the measurement by which you say this is the inspired word of God and you measure everything else against it. All right, so that's the canon, the inspired authoritative table of contents. So with that word, it brings us to two other very important words, the first of which is the proto-canonical books. Proto means first, and then canon, of course, is what we just said the standard it's the first canon the proto-canonical books these are all the books that are of the old testament that are accepted by jews protestants catholics as well as orthodox uh, christians for that matter so they're the first canon those 39 books um, from genesis you know all the way down to malachi all of the these religious groups accept them okay the proto-canonical it's given that term because it's meant to distinguish between those and the deuterocanonical books the Deutero means second can- canonical is canon, so it's the second canon. Uh, Deuter like Deuteronomy, just to give you a reference here, like Deuteronomy means the second law, Deuteronomos. So deuterocanonical canonical books are the second canon, and it's that doesn't mean it's a lesser, it's of a lesser state or lesser status. It's very, it's a very misleading term, as I'll explain later on. Um, but it's really it, it distinguishes between the seven disputed books that the Jews and the Protestants don't accept. And these are listed here in your notes, Tobit, Judith, Wisdom of Solomon, Sirach, also known as Ecclesiasticus in in Latin, uh, Baruch, 1st and 2nd Maccabees, and then there's some additional content, additional sections of Esther and Daniel. So these seven books are accepted by Catholics and Orthodox. They are not accepted by Protestants as well as Jews, and then so they have... They're meant, unfortunately, like I said, a very misleading term because it doesn't have a second lesser status. As I'm going to demonstrate to you, they've always been accepted by the church as original inspired works of God that go hand-in-hand and side-by-side with the rest of the Old Testament books. But these are the terms that are used. The proto-canonical books, those 39 we discussed, and then the deuterocanonical books, which really are those seven disputed books we'll talk about. Okay? All right, so then we also have a a term that's thrown around a lot, which is called the apocryphal books. Apocrypha literally means like hidden or secret writings. Okay, these are allegedly just for the wise and learned scribes, for the sages, right, for their private reading. Uh, It's kind of hidden from the world, and um, only if you have the chops that you're able to uh, read these things, okay? Apocryphal, hidden secret, secret writings. Uh, so then there's also known as the pseudepigrapha. The pseudepigrapha means, quite literally uh, from the Greek here, false writings. These essentially are forged, forged documents written in the name of some other authoritative figure. So if you're going to forge a document and you realize, oh, I need some authority for this, you're going to say, oh, this was written by Peter, or oh, this was written by you know, one of the apostles or whoever it is. Even if Peter and one of the apostles are long dead, you know, you're going to write this and you're going to say, oh, it was written actually in his name to try to give it some sort of authority. So these are the words that we have that are very important. Canon. And then there's this distinction between the proto-canonical and and the deuterocanonical books. And then these other two types of writings that circulate in the Old Testament world, as well as the early New Testament world, apocryphal writings and pseudepigrapha, these false writings. All right, so it's really important to know what those mean. Okay, so as we move to the Roman numeral two, that's kind of a review of the basics and some definitions of the threefold structure uh, and the threefold structure that we have of the traditional Jewish Bible.